Welcome to episode number 35 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I'm your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Now, Chris, I'm going to ask you a question, bud. Are you ready to dig between my crack? <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> buddy. Not for all the money in the world. <laughs> Little buddy, how you doing? Fine. I'll be much better uh, once we uh, finally complete this recording. Oh my god, dude, we, we gotta tell the good people all the trouble we've been having. First off, our schedules are not matching up. Then the nights that they do uh, have... Uh... Well, well, let's, let's, let's rephrase that. They do match up a lot of the times, but we, our, our ambition doesn't really We just up. have not been, been up to it. And then we finally started recording yesterday, and then our good friend of the show, uh, who goes by the name of Grizz... Decided to start up the old leaf blower at your place, and uh, we couldn't get him to stop, we couldn't get his attention, and the leaf blower really uh, just took over the whole show, so we had to shut the recording down about 20 minutes into it. That felt good. <laughs> How about that? A show getting cancelled due to a leaf blower. Let's hear it for old Grizz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So what's new in your world, Chris? We have about, I don't know, about an hour and a half of good recording time, so we can, you know, shoot the shit for a little bit if you want to uh, start with our bullshit banter. What's happening in your world? <laughs> well, last night we we lost 3-2 in our game 2 of the championship, so we were eliminated. Regardless if it's just a rec league or not, it fucking stings. It was basically like playing a baseball game, you know, the way that both the pitchers are and the teams, you know, are very skilled infield, outfield, hitting, everything. So it's it, that's why I like it this league, but it's brutal when you lose two games back to back by one. That's the thing people don't realize when, especially when you're playing like fast pitch softball and you have a good pitcher, people don't realize how hard it is to hit that fucking ball. If you've never played baseball before, and you start playing, you know, like, especially if you play high arc, which a lot of leagues are, and you're not used to, fa- even even this this league's modified fast, so it's not windmill, so you they can still fire it. And most of the guys don't really have the ability to throw it that fast, so you kind of just get used to people not throwing that hard. But then there's this one team, and it's our, our pitcher too. I kid you not, if... If we had a gun there, I'd say this guy was throwing in the 70s. Holy shit. Yeah. He whips it. So it's a, it's a great thing for most of us because a lot of us are ex-ball players. So we, you know, baseball players. So we like the feeling that it's like a baseball game. That's the reason why we play in this league because it's like a baseball uh, league because of the pitching style. So it's it's much more exciting. But, you know, it's it's more difficult to hit too. So Chris, would you say he was throwing... Lasers? That's one way to put it. Or another way to put it was that he's throwing absolute... (laughs) Yes! (laughs) No! (laughs) Chris, the Halloween season is truly upon us, and but I think you'll be coming up next week, won't you? Oh, yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yes, so what we are going to have to do, uh, and uh, I'm going to tell the good people what uh, next week's episode is, we are going to be reviewing The Exorcist, the original Exorcist, and then going over all the fucking creepy facts about it, and people that have died, and the curses that people believe that they were influenced by down the road due to being a part of this film. Which is, uh, is, 
seems to be not not that, that this happens at all movies, but if we remember when we did the Poltergeist, yeah, same shit. Another very similar type situation. It's just crazy. We're gonna watch that and then we're gonna review it. And I tell you what, I have a hard time with that film. Like I said last week, I don't like it one bit, and it's probably gonna fucking affect me for a couple of weeks after that. But uh, I thought it was a pretty fun idea to do for. Halloween kind of episode, and to uh, lighten the mood a little bit from some of the other topics that we're covering, and one of those such topics will be what we are talking about tonight. Now, in the past, we have covered quite a few missing persons cases, and that's what we have here tonight. We are talking about the bizarre disappearance of Asia Degree. Nine-year-old Asia lived in the city of Shelby, North Carolina, which is just outside of Charlotte, and I think there's roughly like a population of 20,000 or so. We're going back to the year 2000, Valentine's Day to be exact, February 14th. That is the day, or should I say the early morning, when Aisha decided to pack her bags and leave her family home, then proceeded to walk down Highway 18, despite the heavy rain and wind. And apparently Asia was afraid of the dark, you know, she didn't like storms, What was afraid of dogs and whatnot. So these are all kind of things that she's going to be encountering on this journey of hers. So this then begs the question... What would make a nine-year-old little girl leave her home at roughly 3 a.m. to begin this journey down a dark, desolate highway? It wasn't this eight-lane superhighway. It looks to me, when I looked it up on Google Maps, it actually looked pretty desolate. So I don't think that, you know, there was a lot of light there. I don't think there was a lot of action. So you got to imagine, as she's walking down that straightaway at around 3 a.m., it's got to be dark as hell. So this little girl must have had something or someone that she wanted to meet that she was very passionate about seeing. But what could it be? Because from all accounts, Aisha had a great family life. And uh, we're going to dig into that a little bit further in just a minute. But she came from a very loving family. There seemed to be no outward issues with them. We got to then ask ourselves, what would possess this little girl to take this type of chance of leaving her home at three o'clock in the morning in torrential downpours, nearly freezing weather, in the dark, with not having left any bit of communication with any other family member behind. A lot of things that people look for, especially when when somebody like a child leaves the house, is obviously if there's an altercation, if they're having issues at home, bullies at school or something of that sort. They, that's typical reasons why a kid would leave. But from what we hear, a very loving family, as you mentioned, both parents had regular jobs, so the, the kids would come home after school and let themselves in. They really made sure that the kids kept up with their homework. You know, it was like basically life was family, church, and school. And one thing that that's mentioned is that there is not a computer in the house, which actually does does play into a little bit, at least as to kind of adding to this mystery as to how this situation unravels. But but you got to think though too. I mean, we're talking about the year two thousand, so I don't know how prevalent computers were at that time. I mean, that I can even recall. I mean, there there certainly weren't what we have today, and all this social media and the, 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 these websites and. The, ability to share information at lightning quick speed so i mean maybe you would have like some some bizarre kind of chat room or something like that but that wasn't even accessible to her because as you said there was no computer in the house right and that and like you said in those days too like there wasn't a there wasn't a computer in every home i mean so they didn't have one whether that was because they didn't believe in them or wasn't necessarily needed because with things today where everything can be submitted online that didn't exist back then so Really, the, the computers weren't as valuable as they are today. 
Well, you know what I always found funny, though, is that, you know, they talk about how um, the family was very overprotective and Aisha was almost somewhat sheltered. But as we're going to get into the story, you hear that she belonged to a church. She went to school. She was part of a basketball team. Her entire family basically lived within a, a certain radius of each other within this city. So, I mean, to me, that sounds like a well-rounded life. I don't see where the sheltered accusation even fits into that. Right. And she's nine years old. You know, this is not like a teenager. I know, it's still know a, basically, a, a, it's, a, it's a baby for all intents right. and purposes. Right. And I know how they say kids these days are growing up so much faster than they Well, obviously, with all the access to everything they have now, you know, they, they have everything at the tip of their fingers. But this is year 2000. That's really not a thing. I mean, she's nine. She doesn't have a cell phone. That she doesn't have a smartphone that she could like look up things or contact people with. Like this is not a factor here. So obviously this the reason for her leaving had something to do with some sort of an encounter she had with somebody in person. There's no other way that she would have had contact with somebody other than that. What happened? And they had mentioned that Asha played for played basketball and she was apparently their star point guard. And apparently two days prior to her disappearance, she had fouled out of a game in uh, a basketball game. She was visibly upset about it. She was crying along with teammates after the game. Uh, but not something you would obviously suspect a child to leave home for. It's it's just one of those things that, you know, any, any kid gets upset from a loss or whatever. With this case, sometimes you'll hear people mention that that could have been one of the factors of why she decided to leave, which sounds fucking outrageous to me i mean come on a nine-year-old kid playing on a, a basketball team you, you foul out i mean it was early in the season it wasn't even like a huge playoff game and even if it was you're you're gonna just run away for the rest of your life because of a uh, some wreck basketball game that makes no sense no yeah it's you know it'd be very strange especially for a nine-year-old what are you running away from you you know it's not like you unless you you embarrassed yourself so much so that you felt like you couldn't be around the people that you're used to seeing every day. That's not what a nine-year-old does. That's something we do. <laughs> no, that's something that like somebody in their teenage years would do. You know, I, I could see if you lose a huge game for your school or something like that, and you're just you can't stand to see the people around you. But you wouldn't do that as a nine-year-old. Who's keeping tabs on nine-year-old sports? To, Unless to that degree, right? Right. Unless your family member, unless or like a family, you know, sometimes parents come down hard on kids with sports. I mean, a little too hard, obviously, where they cause kids to get to the point where like they don't want to deal with it. But this is not one of those situations here. There's no reports of either of the parents being extremely hard on her for you know any issues. Plus, apparently, she was the star point guard for the team. So, what happened here? Why did she leave in the middle of the night? Smart enough to leave at that time, at the time she did, because whether or not this was coincidence or not, but her father had only arrived from work at what, about two in the morning, was it? Yeah, I think he returned home from work around two, checked on them, and before he went to bed, I believe they reported that it was around 2.30 a.m., he checked on them again, and from his reports, Aisha was in her bed, and she, we should mention that she actually shared a room with her older brother, O'Brien. O'Brien said that he actually heard her bed kind of creaking and making noise at around that same time. But obviously, you would just think that the kid is maybe moving around in her sleep or readjusting her body. So you wouldn't really think much of it. But that must have been the point where she was getting out of her bed and was 
about to take off out of the house. Now, her bag, we should mention, was already packed, so this was not a spur-of-the-moment decision. This had been planned. So she had her clothes in there and some other belongings, which we're going to get to, inside this backpack that she took with her. With that being said, the question then becomes, as you were alluding to, who or what would lure her out of that house at that time? And from you know the things that we hear, she was just involved with her church, the basketball team, and school. All right, so you have those three things. And there were a few family members that lived within a few blocks of her house in the same city of Shelby. You got to imagine that it would be some sort of influence within that radius of extracurricular activities. Like we mentioned, because there was no contact with a computer of any sort unless she was in school. And I don't know, as a nine-year-old, how much access to computers you would have even to get past something basic. Nothing that would require a chat of any sort. But between these... You know, these places that she's gone on her normal daily routine or or weekly routine. She must have encountered somebody somewhere. I mean, look, there's always the slight possibility here that she did leave the house because... Not necessarily to, to go meet a person, but it could have been, you know, because she was upset about something or wanted to run away from home. I mean, kids do run away from home, but there just doesn't seem like there's a good case for her to run away from home. Unless there's something she's trying to get to. You know, her parents reported that she was terrified of the dark, didn't like storms, and the fact, I think it was about 34 degrees, so we're, it's almost freezing temps outside. Those type of factors, so like, why at that time? Like, I, it makes me think that somebody said, you have to meet me here at 4 a.m. if you want this or you want that. You know, like that, that's what it sounds like to me, because otherwise, I mean, think how ballsy that is, dude, for a little nine-year-old kid to leave the house at that time in the, a desolate area, in the pouring rain, high winds, freezing weather. I mean, God, my God, man, it's terrifying even for me to think about doing. And how does she know where she's going, too? Or, or does she not know where she's going? Because, shit, I forget where I'm going to places certain times, and I've been there a hundred times before, you know, you... You, as a kid, because you're not a driver, you don't mentally map out things through your head throughout the course of the day. So, like, getting your bearings or your, knowing your whereabouts is extremely difficult for a kid. So, whether she was just wandering and just trying to get away or, or she actually had some sort of a plan to go to a specific location, we don't know. Well, you bring up a good point about a kid or a young child having a good sense of direction like that. Now, my son's 10. I mean, he knows our town fairly well but it's a small town you know we're five six thousand people but you know you're talking about a, a city even though it's a smaller one of twenty thousand people you have to have a pretty decent grasp as far as being able to navigate that area so why was she heading down this fucking highway i mean did she know where she was going or like you alluded to was she just taking off without any concept of where she was so chris for the sake of keeping it in chronological order why don't we bring it back to the house at the time that the parents realized that their daughter asia was missing apparently the night before there was a car accident now it's funny how things play out here so apparently the night before there was a car accident in the neighborhood that knocked out the power so instead of the kids taking their showers for school the next day they had to wait till the morning 
me as a parent, I would just say, fuck it. Don't worry about it. Do it, you know, when you get home from school. Lara is like this. So so the mom, Iquila, made the kids get up early to take their shower before school. At around 6.30 a.m., she went in to wake them for them to take these showers, right? The brother, O'Brien, was in his bed, but Asia wasn't. So uh, the mom, you know... Initially, you're probably going to think, oh, maybe she's in the kitchen or whatever, you know, somewhere in the house or she's in the bathroom already. You don't really start to panic right then and there. But as the mom began to search throughout the whole house and even going outside and checking around the house and surrounding area, Asia was nowhere to be found. You know, and you can imagine, I mean, I would be in a full fucking panic at this point. So Aquila then calls the police and the police respond basically within 10 minutes. They're there right away. They arrive on a scene with police dogs. But here's the weird thing, Chris. They couldn't pick up any scent. Remember, we talked about the fact that there was a huge storm. So shit was fucking probably windy as hell and raining. So all these factors probably come into play. And I, I even believe that when it rains, I think it subdues the scent. So that probably threw the dogs completely off. Now, now you just have a kid that's completely disappeared without a trace. And I mean, we're, we're talking about a very short you know, window of time we're here where she's left. The police are arriving at 6.40. She's only left, at this point, maybe three hours ago on yeah. foot. She could not have gotten very far on foot. The search begins, and like you mentioned, the dogs are, are not of, of any help. Even the whole, the whole neighborhood started taking part in the search, and they couldn't find anything. Right, right. So they have all the, the friends, family, you know, they have people from the church helping out. And by the end of the day, all that they, that they had found was apparently was a mitten. And they said that that mitten didn't actually belong to uh, to the daughter, so it was you know it, it was dismissed as as being you know evidence or anything. The local news picked up this case and was reporting it, which prompted two drivers who said that they were right when they were riding early in the morning that they actually saw Asha walking on the side of the road and she f- uh, went fleeing into the woods. So they report this to the police. Now, you got to think about what kind of mindfuck that is. You're driving down this desolate highway in the middle of the night, torrential downpour, and all of a sudden you see a little girl walking on the side of the road by herself at, at, at 3.30 a.m. My initial reaction, I mean, I, I would be shocked and I would probably turn around to try to assist her in some sort of way, but my initial reaction would be that this is some kind of setup. So if I went out to help her, I would be jumped or something that that would just be the way my mind would work and thinking that it was a, a setup with other people watching that's that's actually a good point and it's not that like i'm a very cautious person and when i see somebody car broken down on the side of the road or anything like that and as much as i want to help them i don't trust people we've had cases like this to your point, yes, I, I agree with you. I would be a little skeptic at first seeing this. Now, as you said, the truck driver and, and the other motorists said that they saw her walking along Highway 18, wearing a long sleeve white shirt and white pants. So she's going to be pretty visible to you wearing all white, you know, in the middle of the night as you're shining your headlights on her. So as we said, the truck driver and the other motorist noticed her. One of them decided to turn around to help her because it just thought it was weird that a, a child would be out there by herself at that time. He circled around three times, and as he pulled up to her, she took off and ran to the woods. I mean, I'm sure she was probably terrified, not knowing who or what was in that car. That makes me think that she'd be smart enough not to try to deal with a stranger. Because she ran away from somebody who was trying to help her on the side of the road, obviously she probably learned from her parents to never go with a stranger, so she probably ran. 
So I don't believe that she left the house to find somebody, to meet up with somebody, unless this was somebody that she knew, friendship, something, you know, some sort of a, an acquaintance, not just an acquaintance, some sort of a relationship with, if she left for that reason. And that's a good point, Chris. So that then narrows it down. Was she either just trying to run away or was she meeting someone that she trusted? Right. And there seems to be no reason that she would just up and leave her family. Now, you got to think, you know, a, a, a nine-year-old girl, what would lure them out? If she loved basketball so much, was this a promise of, you know, basketball instruction or maybe meeting a player or, you know, something along those lines? Now, there's another factor that people often talk about with regards to Asia's disappearance. She, like we said, she was a fourth grade student, and at the time, in her class, they were reading a book by the author Sid Fleischman, and it was a book called The Whipping Boy. I mean, I've never heard of this fucking book, but apparently it was about two kids running away from home, but eventually returning. So, could this book that she was reading with her class have been some kind of influence on her, or acted as a catalyst for her leaving the house? It's possible. I mean, kids, you know, at that age, they, you know, they, they tend to sometimes, you know, they, they pay attention to more than you think, basically. And, and that could have been something that was a driver for her doing that. Maybe she was just following something she saw and, and thought it would be a cool idea to, to try. That seems pretty uh, plausible in my eyes, you know, that, now that you say it in that way, you know, maybe it could have been something that she thought was going to be this huge adventure or something right. along those lines. Now, back to the search. So after these people had reported seeing her on February 15th, as the police were continuing to conduct a search, the section where she ran off into the woods, there was a shed back there, and uh, they did find some things that belonged to Asia. Why don't you tell us what they found they found candy wrappers they found a pencil a marker and a mickey mouse shaped hair bow that were all identified as belonging to her now you have evidence that she was there i mean what are you thinking a million things going through your mind for instance why would she leave those things behind you know it's such a weird situation too because i always think about this when there's stuff left behind a why would the person, unless they were in a hurry, if a person was, like, if there was an abductor, why would they leave any evidence behind? Or, they were in a rush and didn't have time to kind of clean up the evidence that, that could have been left behind and just bolted. So that was the only trace of her found during this initial search. Lo and behold, a week later, after about what they say is 9,000 man-hours had now had been invested in, in this search through a two- to three-mile radius of where she was last seen. Flyers all over the place. 300 leads. I mean, imagine sorting through those. Well, that's the thing. You always get these tips and, and right. leads, and most of the time, they end up being complete bullshit. You get some fucking psychopaths out there that, that try to get themselves involved in the case. I have my reasons for not publicizing things like this and and obviously there are reasons for publicizing so let me before we jump a little further let me tell you why i think publicizing a case like this on like more of like a wide scale like like on the media could be uh, potentially harmful if she was just lost somewhere in the woods and that we're dealing with a nine-year-old child now you're a broadcasting to 
a lot of people, including people that you don't want to know that there's a child missing, that could now be looking for this child. But I get that, obviously, you want more eyes out there to see, and, and hopefully, if everybody knows, the, the chances increase that you can find somebody that is compassionate that will be looking out for this girl. It's a situation now where it looks like something happened to her, right? Because there's stuff left behind. They found evidence that she was somewhere, but then she obviously disappeared from that area somehow. Well, what makes this case so interesting and, and bizarre is her age. Now, there was um, an expert, and his name is Ben Ermini, and uh, I'm getting this off a of wiki, so don't fucking give me any shit. Um, <laughs> and he's from the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children, and he says that most children who run away are at least 12 years old. And I, I would think that too, preteen or teenagers, not a nine-year-old, you know, I mean... Because they still have, I mean, even though they're starting to come into their own a little bit, they still have that, to some degree, that, that innocence or that, that childish behavior. That's what makes it so crazy here, is that she is just nine years old. So, in my eyes, that's kind of ruling out the aspect of her being a runaway. And let's say she was a runaway. Generally speaking, you would be running away to avoid abuse or some sort of dysfunctional family. And by all accounts, that is not the case here. The father even went so far as to take a lie detector test, which he passed. You know, not that that's even admissible in courts and whatnot, but I mean, I think that that generally shows uh, a willingness to help, you know, and, and the fact that you have nothing to hide. Think about what this does to, to your own family, about what thoughts start running through your mind. Oh, rips it apart. It must rip the family apart. Right, because like, now you're, now you're worried, like, maybe so, so-and-so in my family, they were acting a little weird. You know, like, all of a sudden, all these thoughts could... Oh, yeah. Mind. Then and, I mean, I would think and, as a parent, I know I would, at least this is what I would do, everybody would become a suspect in my eyes. Yeah, right. You're going to go to who your child felt most comfortable with. Yeah, man. And like I said, she had a, a big extended family, all the people that she knew at church, through uh, rec basketball, at school. So, you know, anybody that you would think is acting suspect basically becomes a suspect in your eyes. At this point, you know, so they found the uh, bow and... You know, a couple of the candy wrappers and whatnot. But then after that, things kind of fizzled out. There was no new news. You know, information was still being spread on TV. It was talked about on America's Most Wanted, Oprah Winfrey, Montel Williams. So it was still making the headlines. But it wasn't until about a year and a half later when uh, the police got a break. That is when a construction worker actually found Asia's book bag and some other items in Burke County. Now get this, Chris off of Highway 18. And this is about 26 miles north of the city of Shelby, where she disappeared. Now, we have Aisha leaving her home in Shelby, going up the road a few miles, running into the woods. No trace of her left behind there besides a bow and some candy wrappers. A year and a half later, they find her book bag 26 miles away, off the same highway. What I'm about to tell you makes this far more weird and uh, sinister. They not only found the book bag, they found it double wrapped in plastic bags, as if trying to preserve it. And it was dug underground. The book bag was confirmed to be ages because it had her name and phone number on it. Wow. Yeah. And the FBI then took it to their headquarters for analysis, but the reports were never shared publicly. Now, I think that's where that gets into what you're talking about. You know, obviously they can't share all the details because they want to know if they have leads coming in that it's actually a, a legitimate lead by someone who might know something 
double bagging it, I, I suppose, could be a way of concealing what was inside the bag. Yeah, but why not burn it? Burn the fucking thing. Get rid of it. Throw, you know? Like, why? I don't know. You? I mean, you. I guess you'd be surprised how difficult it could be for someone to, to actually, if they don't have the means or the area to start a fire where it wouldn't draw attention to them. The fact that it was double wrapped makes me think that they wanted to preserve it because sometimes these these fucks are weird man like they'll they'll bury things and come back to them later like you know they'll even bury bodies pick them back up remove them bury them again like there's some sick twisted fucks out there here's the weird thing this is basically the last piece of evidence that was ever found in this case the uh fbi actually released on the 20th anniversary because i mean now we're getting further and further away so at this point you you have to start revealing more evidence in hopes that maybe it would jar somebody's memory and somebody would just maybe remember something that happened at that time that they didn't think was a big clue or a big hint. But, you know, in retrospect now, maybe it was something that could help. Now, with that said, they did release some of the objects that were in the backpack. And this is weird. A copy of Dr. Seuss's Mick Elligott's Pool. I didn't even fucking heard of that. And a t-shirt of uh, your favorite band, Chris, New Kids on the Block. Um, but... Her family has come out to say that these items did not belong to Asia. And, you know, it's weird. Yeah, I would say, too, why would a little nine-year-old girl in the year 2000 have New Kids on the Block t-shirt? I mean, that's from when I was a fucking kid. So that doesn't make sense. But here's the weird thing, though, Chris. That Dr. Seuss book, apparently it was from her elementary school library. So maybe she took the book out and her parents just didn't know that and it was in the book. Or maybe it was taken out by another kid from that school, and maybe that could be the missing link as to who was involved in this. Well, wait. I mean, I don't, I don't know how they did it back then, but normally when you had to sign out a book from the library, now didn't you have to give your name? Yeah, and put that little, you got to sign that little card. They do the little stamp on the card thing. That might not have your name, but when you sign it out, obviously the library needs to know your name because they, they need to know who has the book if for some reason they don't get it back. Yeah, well, obviously this... This lead went nowhere because, I mean, even though they were able to identify that the book came from the school, I guess they were unable to identify who had taken it out because mm-hmm. they, they never, this never led to anything. Unless they found it and they found that she did take it out and they just didn't bother going into it Could any be. further. But that's that would be very odd, I would say, if they couldn't find who took it out. They end up getting so many dead ends. So, in 2004... The police, on another tip again, uh, the sheriff's office begin uh, digging at this intersection in Lawndale. They got this tip from an inmate at a county jail. So uh, yeah, those assholes are always giving tips, and uh, to me, they always sound like they're, they're bullshit. So like, I mean, probably it, trying to redu- reduce time. Yeah, yeah. And maybe they're just trying to like hopefully strike gold or something. But if you don't actually have any good information, you're not going to. You know, you're not going to get any special assistance. You know, like, you're not going to be, like, your time won't be reduced if you're not going to come up with something that's valuable to the police. So, anyway, this tip ends up being a dead end because they find bones in this area where they dug up, but they were from an animal. So, it was not uh, anything that they could use. You know, as you said, with all those dead ends, the parents and the family of Asia have never given up hope. There's a reward out there. The parents actually establish a scholarship in her name, and they host an annual walk to raise money and awareness to, to fund their search. That all leads to the family, you know, 
desperately still seeking answers after all these years. And you can imagine the, the gaping hole that has left in their lives, you know? So the fact that anybody would even question the family still at this point, I mean, I, I think it's would be proven that that's un- uncalled for. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's got to be brutal. I'd probably rather not find any evidence at all versus what they had to go through. And, and basically knowing that she must have left mere, like, three hours before they started searching for her and, and knowing how close they could have been to, to actually finding her. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, it was a mere two to three hours from the time she left to the time the cops were there searching for her. You know, you think about that, it doesn't seem like much, but if she got into a car with someone or somebody abducted her, I mean, that's a two to three hour head start. So if you're headed in one direction, they're heading in the opposite direction, then that time frame multiplies. Unfortunately, there's things that stand out in your mind, obviously. Somebody walking down the side of a, a highway in the early morning hours would probably still stand out to me, but more so if it was a child. You said that, you know, there was, what, around 20,000 in this city? Yeah. Who knows how many people driving back and forth through the middle of the night that could have encountered her or saw her. Was she in trouble? Uh, you know, did, did, did she... You know, she ran into the woods that, you know, I mean, at that point, anything could really happen. You just don't know. But she, because she's on foot, there's no real guess, obviously, in terms of that the only way she could have disappeared was that she was taken by somebody or something. The police have never given up. The parents have never given up. And actually, back in May of 2016, uh, they opened up a, a reinvestigation on the case. So, re-interviewing old witnesses and looking into the forensics again and you got to imagine too as science keeps developing you know especially with dna and whatnot like as they continually test maybe this will eventually help solve this case i don't know how or why this information was disclosed 16 years later but it was a witness said that they saw who they believed to be asia getting into a dark green early 70s lincoln continental mark IV, or possibly a ford thunderbird from that same time era so i mean you're talking the year 2000 and then you're talking about a car from the early 70s. So, I mean, you're talking almost kind of like this classic car, right, from the early 70s, which would be a very distinct automobile to be looking for. Now, I don't know if police have done, and I'm sure they have, uh, a check on any registrations in that area of that time frame. But, you know, if it's not somebody in that area, you know, they might just be shit out of luck again. But then again, who knows if this witness's claim is even accurate but it's such a weird thing to, for that to come out nearly two decades after the disappearance and actually one thing that they brought up most recently two years from today uh from this month actually was those two clues there they consider the that dr seuss book that was borrowed from her school and that that t-shirt that new kids on the block t-shirt to this day are, are considered vital clues you got to think about that t-shirt man there's got to be dna on that of someone you know like because if the mom and dad are saying that's not her t-shirt who the fuck does it belong to then let's just hope that this doesn't end up being another dead end man and you just really hope that the the family can get some answers and you know there are some people who believe that asia is still alive and you gotta wonder you know was this a, a child sex trafficking deal or you know was it a crime of opportunity we just don't know so, I mean, there's no conclusive evidence one way or another. You know, it's, it has been 20 years at this point, and Asia would now be 29 years old. 
you got to imagine, man, a torment that this family's been going through for all these years. My God. You just want closure. Everybody just wants closure. Obviously, you'd rather if that was finding the person that you're looking for alive, but even if not, you just want to know what happened, and especially a child, a fucking child. Having three kids myself, this this really, like, I'm not even doing any fucking jokes this episode. I, sound effects, I feel fucking angry, man. I mean, it, it, it's such a... a, a dark and, and, and sick-spirited thing to manipulate a child in, in in such a way and to lure them out in, in that kind of manner, and then God knows what happened to her after that. But, fuck, this one was a real bummer, dude. This may be the, this may be the, 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 the saddest case that we've done. Yeah, this... And we've done some fucking doozies. Yeah. Missing but, person and then adding in fact that it's a child is just basically the worst scenario. Uh, fucking terrible. But uh, we're going to hopefully lighten the mood next week when we talk about that uh, crazy fuck from uh, The Exorcist, and we'll have to deal with that, because uh, Chris and I were together last weekend, and we actually watched a scene where she was coming down the steps backwards with a little lizard tongue coming out of her mouth. So that should uh, help us lighten the mood for the uh, Halloween um, season and our special Halloween spooktacular, which is taking place next week. And it's a special Halloween because it's going to be a full moon. Oh, th- a blue moon, too. Ooh, Come on. Things are going to get wild. Maybe I'll <laughs> show you my full moon when you get up here. Uh, I don't want to see that. <laughs> All right, Chris, let me give the quick rundown. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us at Facebook dot com slash between the cracks podcast or chris if you would like to send me a message on instagram you can uh, reach me at between the cracks podcast chris why don't you send me a message later make me feel good about myself yeah. i haven't got i haven't yeah, got right. one in a while Maybe and uh, a little email <laughs> and they opened up that stupid between the cracks podcast group again which nobody ever posts anything or writes anything so whatever and the stupid teespring uh, store btc you can get all our dumb merchandise there which nobody ever buys anyway uh, we have a uh, some fun stuff though though the blue ball shirts and all that stuff which Chris reminds me we have to bring him back we've got to start doing some skits again yeah oh that's right we haven't done a skit in a while Dude, yeah. it's been months well, let me think of something oh we could probably do something funny with the uh, <laughs> with the exorcist next week <laughs> this week's episode did not call for a skit I'll tell you that much if we have it in us yeah we'll see <laughs> alright but that's it Chris so at this point we have nothing else to do but bid the good people the fondest Oh, farewell. Oh, Chris, Halloween's coming. Our little spectacular. Oh, I do not envy the fucking editing that you're going oh, to do on I mean, this one. This, this is one 75 minutes, so, which means it'll probably be a 25-minute show. 